First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Pastor Tony Marita tells the story of a man named Aaron Ralston, who in the year 2003 was hiking in Utah, and a boulder fell and pinned his right arm down. And he tried to get himself free for six days, but to no avail. And so finally, on the sixth day of being stuck there in the wilderness, he uh, was able to take a multi-tool, a dull one at that, and amputate his right arm. And then even though he was exhausted and dehydrated from having been in the wilderness for six days, he rappelled down a 60-foot cliff and then followed that by hiking eight miles before finding a Dutch family that was able to lead him to a rescue hospital. Amazingly, Aaron Ralston survived all of that and wrote about it in his well-named autobiography, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. And you know, when you read survival stories like that, it's amazing that the survival instinct, right, that God has given us, that will to live that's inside every single one of us. And yet the question that I want to ask you today is this, what are you living for? What are you living for? What is your life about? What is my life about? What is worth living for and what is worth dying for? A man who lived 2,000 years ago wrote to us from a prison cell in Rome and told us what he was living for and what one day he would die for and how that changed his outlook on everything. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you open it with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're continuing today our verse-by-verse study of this beautiful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And so, Uh, Let's read together Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 through 26. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the words will be on the screens behind me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, But with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to be able to say these same words that we read your servant Paul saying 2,000 years ago, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or would you teach us today what that means? 
And would you change us by your Holy Spirit that we might live those words out. We ask it in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Again, when Paul wrote these words that we just read together, he was under house arrest in the city of Rome, and he was writing this letter to the church at Philippi, a church that he dearly loved, a church that he had helped to plant. And the people in this church family knew that uh, Paul was in Rome. They knew that Paul was in prison, and they were concerned about him. They were concerned about his well-being. And so as we saw last week in verses 12 through 18, uh, he basically told them, listen, uh, you don't need to be concerned about me. Uh, The things that have happened to me, being here in prison and and all that led up to that, have actually turned out great. (laughs) Paul says the gospel is moving forward like never before. People are even getting saved in jail, right? Even the guards that are chained to me are getting saved. And the people in the city of Rome are fired up for Jesus. They're out telling people about uh, Jesus like never before. And so uh, things are turning out really, really well. The gospel is moving forward. Now Paul did acknowledge in that section of verses that uh, there were two different groups of preachers who were out in Rome uh, telling folks about Jesus. And he acknowledged that some of them were preaching with the right motives and some of them were preaching with the wrong motives. But in verse 18, essentially, Paul said, I really don't uh, concern myself with any of that. I only care that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed and that people are getting saved. And as long as that is happening, Paul says, I I can rejoice. And Paul says, I will rejoice. Of course, the big unknown for Paul as he sat there in prison awaiting his trial was what would be the outcome of that trial. Would he be executed or would he be released? And Paul had a lot of time during the two-year imprisonment that he spent in Rome to think about that. And what we see here is that Paul basically takes the same mindset, the same attitude, when he thinks about the two uh, different outcomes that were in front of him, as he took when he thought about the two different groups of preachers running around Rome. Again, he said, I don't really concern myself with their motive so long as Christ is being proclaimed. And he essentially thinks the same thing about himself. He says, it doesn't really matter what happens to me. It doesn't really matter what direction it goes. It doesn't matter whether I'm executed or whether I'm released. The only thing that matters to me is that Christ's name is magnified. That Christ Jesus receives the glory. Because again, what mattered most to Paul wasn't Paul. What mattered most to Paul was Christ. And people seeing more of Christ in Paul. And so in these verses, what Paul is giving us here is is a distinctly Christian outlook on life. This is the way that a Christian views life. It's the way that God wants all of us to view our lives. And so as we go along here this morning, I want us to notice together three parts of a Christian outlook on life. And and here's the first part. It's the Christian's confidence. Christian's confidence that no matter what is going on in our lives, that as Christians we can say with Paul, I'm secure in Christ. In verse 19, Paul writes this, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
Now, a key question you have to answer when interpreting verse 19 is, what deliverance is Paul speaking about? There are some who uh, argue that he's talking about getting out of prison. That's the deliverance that he has in mind. And that is possible because at the end of this section of verses, he speaks about that, about his conviction that uh, he's not going to be executed at this time, but he's going to be released. It's possible that that's what Paul has in mind, but I really don't think that's the case in verse 19. Because the word that is translated deliverance in my translation is is the Greek word that we get our word salvation from. And I really think that that is what Paul is speaking about here. That all of the things that have happened to him, the good things and, and the bad things, that they're all going to be used by God to bring about the ending that God has promised for Paul. His future, final, and full salvation when he will get to be with God forever. And Paul's already talked about that. Remember back in verse 6 when he said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's speaking about that same confidence here, that God who has saved him, who has justified him, who has declared him not guilty, will one day save him completely. Because the God who started a good work in Paul would finish it. That's why in verse 20, Paul talks about how he's longing for that day when he gets to be with God, when that full and final salvation is going to come. He says in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation. That word means to kind of crane your neck, to, to look at something that's in the distant future that you really wish was right there in front of you at that moment. That's what Paul is speaking about. It isn't based on some whim of Paul or a personal desire that he has. It's based on the promises of Christ. That God who has promised us will deliver on his promises. That's why he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope. And in the Bible, the word hope doesn't, uh, it isn't used the way that we use hope, right? We use hope to refer to something that we hope will happen. You know, I really hope that I get to have Mexican food for lunch after church today. Right? That might happen, but it also might not happen. That's not what Paul means when he speaks about hope. When he says, I hope this will happen, he means, I know this is going to happen, and it gives me hope. It's the conviction that's based on the promise of God. And so in verse 20, he says, I'm certain about this. I'm certain that in nothing I shall be ashamed. We may not recognize it right off, but that language of not being ashamed is final judgment day language. Because in the language of Scripture, one day each of us is going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. And what the Bible says is that those who do not know Christ, those are, who are not ready for that day of judgment, will be ashamed. And what that means is that they will bear the disgrace of the judgment of God falling down upon them. And they will be put to shame in an eternal sense. But what Paul says is for the believer in Jesus Christ, the one who has taken refuge in the cross of Christ, who has been covered by the blood of Christ, will never be put to shame. 
This is what Paul said over in Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. He he quoted from the prophet Isaiah and he said this, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Paul knows that he won't be put to shame because he knows that Christ Jesus has already taken his shame. Christ Jesus has already taken his guilt and he has already taken his sin and he has already paid for it all when he died on the cross in Paul's place and in our place. And so Paul knows what we can know, that one day if we know Christ, shame is not going to fall on us. Rather, that will be a day of vindication. That will be a day when we are declared to be sons and daughters of the king. And so this is a key part of a Christian's outlook. Right, That we can have a confidence when we look into the future, not based on ourselves at all, but based on Christ and what he has done for us. And notice in verse 19 when Paul talks about how God is using all of the things in his life to bring this about. He mentions two things specifically, right? He mentions the supply of the Holy Spirit. Because without God's spirit that he has given to us, we would not make it. But he also mentions the prayers of the Philippian Christians, right? He says this in verse 19. For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Earlier in chapter 1, Paul told this church how he was praying for them. And now he asked that they would pray for him. We need each other's prayers, church. We need to be praying for each other, that we would grow spiritually, that we would persevere in our faith all the way to the end. We need to pray for each other, that our faith would be sincere and authentic. And so let me ask you this, who in this church can count on your prayers for them? The way that Paul counted on the prayers of the Philippian Christians. Who in this church can count on you to be praying for them? Because we need each other's prayers. And at the end of verse 20, we see Paul's hope in all of this, right? He says that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. That word magnified literally means to enlarge something, to make something bigger. And so Paul says, this is my desire. I don't know for sure what's going to happen one way or another, but whatever happens, I know that this imprisonment is temporary. I'm either going to be released Or I'm going to be executed. But you know what my prayer is? Either way, that Jesus Christ would be magnified. That Jesus Christ would get bigger. Paul says, my prayer is that I would be a a telescope that, that would make Jesus appear bigger to those who right now can't see him. And that's all I'm asking God to do. That people would see more of Jesus in me. You know, Paul reminds me here of John the Baptist in John chapter 3. When John said, he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. John John wanted people to see more of Jesus and less of him. And that's what Paul wanted as well. Is that what you want? Is that what I want? For Jesus to be magnified, whether we live or whether we die. 
And so Paul speaks about his confidence in Christ here. Again, that's a key part of a Christian's outlook on life and on the future. But when Paul begins to speak about his desire that Christ would be magnified in his life, he's really beginning to talk about the second part of a Christian's outlook that is so important. And that is this, the Christian's identity. The Christian's identity, how we see ourselves, because we should be able to say like Paul does here, my life is all about Christ. The the key verse in this section, and it's a verse that Christians have been quoting for 2,000 years, where Paul speaks about his outlook on life so succinctly and so beautifully. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Before we dive into what Paul meant by those famous words, I I want us to think about some of the other ways that that we could fill in the blanks, if you will, uh, of what Paul said there. Right? For me to live is blank and to die is blank. (laughs) Right? For just a minute, think about what you would put in that first blank. For me to live is what? Up until this point in your life, how would you fill in that blank? How would you answer that question? For me to live is about this. What word would you put there? And then I want us to think about this. Depending on what word we put in that first blank, what would we have to say in the second blank? Right? Here's here's a few examples, right? If we said, for me, uh, to live is acquiring wealth. If that's what life is about. It's about acquiring wealth, acquiring stuff. And how would we have to answer the rest? And to die is what? Leaving it all behind. Right? For me to live is acquiring wealth and to die is to leave it all behind because we all know we can't take any of it with us. Or what if you said, you know, for me to to live as family or to live as friends or to live as relationships, that might be a little better than the last answer, but but even so, if we said for me to live as family, for me to live as togetherness, then to die is what? To die would be to be alone and to leave those relationships behind. Or if we answer the question, for me to live is fame, well then to die is being forgotten. What would you put in those blanks? What does it mean for you to live? And what does it mean for you to die? For Paul, he said, for me to live is Christ. And because it is, for me to die is only gain. And I'm afraid that when we hear that, when we hear the language that Paul uses here, that that for many of us, it almost seems like a foreign language, the way that he speaks about this. And I think the reason is, is because many of us view our lives kind of like this this box right here. This is my life. And, And we view our life as kind of the composite of all the different parts and the different pieces of our life, right? Because our lives have a lot of different parts to them. Right, and so I've got a few things up here that kind of represent some of the different parts of our life, right? Right here, I've got a, a, a picture of, of my family here. My bald head's very prominent in the photo. But a picture of family, right? Family is a wonderful thing, right? This is a, an important part of our life, whatever that means for you, whatever your family looks like right now, whether it's your family growing up, your, your, your immediate family, whether it's your extended family, whether it's your, your friends, right? A family is so important, right? That, that needs to go in the box. That's, that's an important part of, of our life. 
But there's other important parts of our life too. I, I brought here a little uh, nameplate that sits on my desk and, and it just kind of represents work, right? Maybe you've got a, a, a nameplate that's outside your office door that has your name on it or your, or your title on it. Or maybe you don't have that. Maybe you have a business card or maybe you don't have any of those things. But the reality is all of us have work to do. And, and that work is an important part of our life, right? We need to put that in the box, right? We need to, need to make time for, for that. But there's other things as well, right? Uh, our diet, right? What do we eat? Apparently right now I'm eating chicken broth, right? What do we eat? Right? Our diet, that's important, right? Exercise, right? If we, if we make time for that, right? That's another important part of, of life. That needs to, to go in the box as well. And so we put that in. What about just things that we do for fun, right? I have a baseball glove up here. I don't know what it would be for you, but with something that's a hobby, something you do for fun, right? That's an important part of our life. So we put that in. Boy, media. But we spend a lot of time doing that, right? That's an important part of life, right? So that goes in the box as well. That needs a a, a place in our life. Of course, our finances, right? Uh, This requires a uh, takes up a good bit of our time and thought and energy, making financial decisions and, and, and planning, right? Finances, that's a, a part of life. And then, of course, also there's, there's our faith, right? That's a part of life as well. We go to church right now on Sunday mornings. Maybe we go to church on Wednesday nights. Maybe we're a part of a, a small group. Maybe we even have quiet times, right, in the morning. That takes up a part of our day. We schedule for that. So, so that's an important part of life. That goes in the box as well. And all of these things kind of make up what we call my life. And I'm, I'm afraid that for many Christians that everything I just said is kind of how we think of our life and we don't really hear anything wrong with that. But I hope we can tell that what Paul is saying here is in a different universe than that. Right? Paul is, is not saying that Christ is a part of my life because I go to church on Sunday mornings. Right? Paul is not saying Christ is a part of my life, but you know, I also play Scrabble. Right? He's not equating that Christ is not just an element that goes into the life that is what Paul's life is. And so maybe what we need to do is just kind of rethink what our life is. And instead of thinking about it as my life, to just think about it as Christ. Because that's what Paul says, right? For me to live is Christ. And so what that means is, is that Christ is not a part of our life. He's not something that goes into the box. He's the box, right? He is our life. And when we understand that, it just begins to reorient everything else that is in our life, right? We begin to understand that my relationship with Christ and the walk that I have with Christ fundamentally transforms the way that I do everything, That no longer do do I see my family as just my family. You know, that's kind of in a box over here. But instead, I see my family as what it is, that it's a gift from Christ. That that my role as a dad and my role as a husband is to love my family towards Christ and to make disciples in my home. That everything that I do in my home is not disconnected from my faith, but it's an outlet through which I'm called to live out my faith. We think about work, right? And we realize that that when Christ is our life, work is not just something I do to pay the bills. It's not just a place I go so that I can climb up some ladder to nowhere, right? That work is something that God has given me to do to honor and exalt the name of Christ. 
and that when I go to work, it's a mission field where he has placed me to make disciples for Christ. That's what my work is all about. And the same is true with every other area, right? We can pull all of these things out of the box, right? What we eat and how we exercise and and what we do for fun and how we spend even the resources that we have. All of it is seen through the lens of Christ. Because he isn't just a part. He's the whole. Christ. Our life. And we realize, you know what, if If Christ had not created us, we wouldn't have life to begin with. And if Christ had not died for us and risen again, we would be spiritually dead right now. But the reason that we have life within us is because of Christ. So this life is from him. This life is through him. This life is for him. And when this earthly life is done, we're going to go to be with him. Or as Paul would put it, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. You know, when you read verse 21 here, you almost get the sense as if Paul is just kind of saying this in passing. Right? I, I don't really get the sense that Paul thinks that he's saying some radical thing when he says this. I, I think that Paul didn't believe he was being radical. I think that this is just how Paul saw himself. This is why more than 160 times in his letters, Paul referred to himself as being in Christ. This is his identity, right? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the language of the scriptures. Crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, in Christ. There was no other Paul than the Paul that was in Christ, who was saved by Christ and sent by Christ for the glory of Christ that would one day go to be with Christ. This is the only Paul that there is. And the question is for us in the church today, is this how we view ourselves? And if not, why not? And what has gone wrong? What has gone become warped in our thinking that we have become to believe that Christ and our faith is in him is a part of our life when we hear Paul saying, for me to live is Christ. We've been focusing on the first half of that verse, but the last half of that verse is so huge as well, right? He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the reason we've been focusing on the first half of the verse is because unless you understand what that first half of the verse means, unless you understand that your whole life is wrapped up in Christ, then you'll never understand why it is a gain for you as a Christian to die. Contrary to what some people have said, Paul does not have a death wish here. He's not being morbid. He's not looking for some escape from life, even though he is in jail at the time, right? We've already read how joyful Paul is. He knows God is using him in spite of his difficult circumstances. So none of that is going on. Actually, what Paul is saying here is just factually true. That is just factually true. When he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that's just a factual statement. It's, it's a gain for Paul as a Christian To die. Why? Because what happens to a believer when they die? They get to go and be with the Lord. 
We get to go and see Jesus face to face. And so if your life is all wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus Christ and you hear from the word of God the truth that one day when you die, you get to be fully in the presence of Christ without any sin in the way, you're going to say like Paul does, that's way better. Right? That just makes sense, right? That's just a gain for me to be able to be with the one who brings me the most joy now. We can see the Christian identity in these verses. We can see the Christian's confidence in these verses. But lastly, let's look at the Christian's perspective. Christian perspective. Because when we see ourselves the way Paul saw himself, then we can say with him, my future is a win-win. It's a a win-win either way because of Christ. From verse 22 down to verse 26, Paul is really opening up his heart to us and and just revealing to us the, the, the tension that's going on inside of him between these two possible outcomes. He's just talked in verse 21 about how to die is gain. And then in verse 22, he says this, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I, I cannot tell. And when he says to live on in the flesh, he's not using the word flesh as he sometimes does elsewhere in his letters to refer to the evil, sinful part of us. He, he just means if I live on in the body, if I live on physically in this life, it's going to mean more fruit for my labor. It's going to mean I have a longer period of time to work for Jesus, right? And for him to produce fruit through my life and through my ministry, And again, notice the way that he talks here about life. What is his goal in life? If God allows him to continue living longer, he doesn't say, but if I live on in the flesh, then I'll get to enjoy my retirement. Right? That's not front and center in Paul's mind, right? He doesn't say, well, if I live on in the flesh, I'll get to buy that beach house that I've always wanted. That's not the thing Paul is focused on. He doesn't say, if I live on in the flesh, then I'll get to take that vacation to the Alps that I always wanted to take, right? Not that any of those things are bad, but that isn't what he's focused on, right? He says, if I live on in the flesh, it will mean more fruit for my labor. It'll mean I get to tell more people about Jesus. It'll mean for you, Philippian church, that I get to minister to you. I get to help you to grow in your faith. I get to disciple you for longer, That is Paul's focus in church. That has to be our focus. That if we live on in the flesh, it's about Christ. Verse 23, he describes that tension he's feeling even more. He says, I'm hard pressed between the two. And I don't know which I should choose. It's a word that refers to hiking uh, down a narrow pathway with rocks on either side of you. These two choices on either side. He doesn't know which one to choose. It's a word that also means to to literally be pulled in two different directions. With all the boys that we have running around our house, there's times where they want me to do different things. Right? There's literally been times where Titus, my four-year-old, is hanging on my leg, pulling on me to the porch and saying, Daddy, come work on this puzzle, where Silas and Micah are pulling on my arm saying, Daddy, come out and play basketball. They both sound great to me. Right? I don't know which I should choose. I don't know which way I should go. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. Now, Paul obviously knows that ultimately God is the one who makes that choice. God is the one who decides whether we live or whether we die. He decides how long we live until we die. 
What Paul means is, I don't know which one I should prefer because they both sound great. It's like if someone asked you, would you like cake or ice cream? The answer is yes, right? Yes, amen. They're both good, right? And, and that's what he's saying. Both of these choices are so good. He begins to unpack these choices a little bit more. And he says that according, first of all, to his outlook, going home to be with Christ is far better for me. That's what he says in verse 23. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You know that Paul's occupation was making tents. And as one person put it, Paul is drawing on the language of his trade when he speaks about departing. Because the word departing in Greek is a word that literally meant to take down your tent, to pack it up, and to go home. And Paul says, that's what I want to do. I'm living a tent life right now, right? I'm on a campground for $5 a night. That's where I am right now. And and my desire, if it was up to me, is to pack this thing up and go on home. To go home to my house. To go home to my Lord. And and, and notice here what makes it better when he says it's far better. It's not the pearly gates and it's not the streets of gold. It's not even the house that he's preparing for us that John 14 talks about. It's not even being reunited with family members who have gone on before, as wonderful as that will be. He says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. Because Christ is our life. And Christ is our joy. And again, when you hear that when you depart, you get to be fully and finally in his presence of the one who is life and the one who is joy and the one who is grace. Paul says, yeah, that's way, way better than this. And it's really not even close, right? He, he uses the strongest superlative that he can use. It is far and away better for me if that happens. That was his perspective. And it's a Christian perspective on what is coming after this life. But that isn't the only thing in Paul's mind. It's not the only thing Paul is thinking about. He says, yeah, going home to be with Christ is far better for me. But number two, staying here to serve Christ is better for you. Verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful For you, Paul isn't just thinking about himself. He isn't just thinking about what would be better for himself. He's doing what he's about to tell us to do in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. We're going to look at this verse next week. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so Paul says, even though my personal desire, what would be better for me is to go to be with Jesus right now. What's more needful for you is if I stay. And so he's putting their interests ahead of his own. Just as we're to do with all things. And Paul says in verse 25 that he's convinced that this is what's going to happen. Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Paul's stating his personal conviction here. And we don't know what that personal conviction is based on, but we know that ultimately Paul had a sense that the Lord was not finished with him yet. That there was still work left that the Lord had for Paul to do. And he tells us what the result or the fruit of that work is going to be in the lives of these Philippian Christians. He says, I know I'm going to remain. I'm going to continue with you all, verse 25, for your progress and joy of faith, 
that your rejoicing or boasting for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So he mentions three things there. The fruit, the result of him continuing to minister and to stay alive. He says, first of all, it's going to result in your progress of faith, your growth in faith. Secondly, it's going to result in your growth in joy, because when we grow in faith, we grow in joy. And third, he says, it's going to result in your boasting, your confidence in Jesus being even greater because of what you see him do in my life. Earlier, he was talking about how he wanted the fruit of remaining alive. And and here he describes what that fruit would look like. And again, Paul, as he looked out from his prison cell on two possible outcomes of this trial that were in front of him, his death or his release. For Paul, they were both wins. Right? Again, for Paul, this was a win-win situation. Either he dies and he gets to go and be with Christ and spend eternity with him, or he gets to stay and he, it's a win for the people, it's a win for the church, and he continues to be able to minister, he continues to be able to have fruit. For Paul, no matter what the outcome was, it was a win-win situation. You can just almost just imagine how frustrating this must have been for those who were guarding Paul. Right? Imagine they said, Paul, we're going to kill you. He said, wonderful, I get to be with Jesus. Right? If they said, Paul, you know what? We've decided we're going to let you live. Terrific, I get to continue to minister. I'm going to have fruit. Right? If they said, Paul, we're going to beat you up. Wonderful, because in my weakness, he is made strong. And when you beat me up, the gospel is going to go out even more strongly than it ever was before. I mean, how can you argue with someone like that? Right? It gives Paul an, an invincible outlook. Is that the way you see your life? And because of Christ, you're in a win-win situation. Are you able to say those words that Paul said and mean them? For me, to live is Christ. and To die is gain. This Saturday, uh, coming up is March 17th, or what we referred to as St. Patrick's Day. In our culture, that means leprechauns and the color green and, frankly, a lot of inebriated people. But this holiday is actually about a Christian missionary to Ireland who lived and worked 1,500 years ago in the 5th century A.D., St. Patrick. And he prayed a prayer that really just ties together everything that Paul says here about how our lives are all about Christ. Christ isn't just one thing in the box. Christ is the box. Christ is our life. And you can hear that perspective in this prayer that St. Patrick prayed. I thought it would be appropriate today. He prayed this, As I arise today, may the strength of God pilot me, the power of God uphold me, the wisdom of God guide me, May the eye of God look before me, the ear of God hear me, the word of God speak for me. May the hand of God protect me and the way of God lie before me. The shield of God defend me, the host of God save me. May Christ shield me today. Christ with me, Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I live, Christ where I sit, Christ where I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, this is our prayer to you this day, that our lives would be about your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you forgive us today if we have made Christ a part of our life, an aspect of our life, something that we put in the box of our life when in fact your word says that he is our very life. Lord, would you reorient us today that we would be able to say truly these words of the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. And because it is, to die is is gain. Lord, may we live in such a way that Christ be magnified in our life, whether by our life or by our death. That people would see more of Jesus and less of us. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room right now who doesn't yet know you personally, who has never fully surrendered their life to your son Jesus. But they're here today, Father. You're speaking to them through your word. Father, perhaps they know that whatever they would have to put in that blank, for me to live is blank. Something that isn't going to last. It's not something that's going to matter in a billion years. And so, Lord, today, would they come to know how much you love them? That your son Jesus has paid for all of us when you died on the cross in our place. In Jesus' name.